have Deborah Opie from the Georgia Conservation Voters on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in downtown Columbia, Missouri. Uh, it has been a while. Uh, since we have uh, issued out a podcast. In fact, it has been since August since we have done one of these podcasts. And you might be asking yourself, well, why have I not been getting this podcast uh, up in my subscription, in my, in my subscriber list, or on my email? And the simple answer to that is, my mind has been elsewhere. <laughs> uh, we've had some people that uh, have announced that they're leaving Renew Missouri or have left Renew Missouri, and it's not because of anything bad it's just because renewable energy is hot and people are getting good job offers and i can't afford to keep them <laughs> so i'm trying to to hire new people so if you're listening and you're like say you are or know a lawyer who would like to work in columbia for us as a staff attorney please please um please email me james at renewmo.org or we have also been talking about because we have uh lost our southwest missouri and Southeast Missouri coordinators, we are hiring that, but we're also going to be hiring people in the Northeast and Northwest part of the state. So we're going to have four to five um, rural coordinators. So if you want a part-time position, we are working on that. Uh, we're trying to make sure we can get healthcare benefits for everybody. So if you know people who live in those areas, call me or email me and we'll get you set up. Okay, all that out of the way. Uh, the, the guests, as I mentioned at the top, Deborah Opie. Uh, the reason we are having her on, uh, as a lot of you know, Renew Missouri is a part of the Rural Power Coalition. That's the coalition of uh, place-based organizations that worked on getting the money needed to the rural electric cooperatives uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act to help them make the transition to clean energy. Uh, we have been talking about that a lot over the past several years. Uh, but the Rural Power Coalition, we've had some of the founding members on, but recently we have added new members and we have moved into new states and new and looked at new dimensions of our work. And uh, one of the groups that we've added uh, is the Georgia Conservation Voters. And Deborah, what's your role with them? I am a senior organizer. Senior organizer. So you would, so does that mean like if you had people out there in the field that you're, are you out there in the field or are you like kind of working with those folks out in the field? Both and. Okay. <laughs> Mostly I'm in a supportive role. Okay. I look for opportunities in the state where we can go in and we can educate member owners on uh, what it means to be a part of a co-op versus, you know, part of um, here we have Georgia Power, which is for-profit mm. electric company. And okay. so um, my role is to support the organizers in our program, but to also seek out opportunities uh, and partnerships to educate community. Okay. And I believe you, we met, we talked off mic. I, we want to make sure that there was a quick distinction. The Georgia Conservation Voters has two groups below them. We want to make sure we say which one you're working for, right? Correct. So I work with the Education Fund 
The education fund is C3. C3. Okay. So we're wearing our C3 hats today. I'm wearing my C3 hat because we've also got a C4, but I don't do much with that because we don't have any money. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So senior or, okay. So I want to, there's a, there's some about your introduction. I want to unpack a little bit because I think most of our listeners, all, all 10 of them are in Missouri uh, they might not know a lot about how co-ops work in other states. And one of the things that we wanted to do, in addition to having these new groups on to introduce them, uh, we want to talk a little bit about how that works in other states. Now, you talked about you are talking with member owners of an organization called Georgia Power. No. Mem oh, mem no. So in the state of Georgia, we have yeah. 41 co-ops. Okay. And... We reach, we're in the process of reaching out to all 41 co-ops, okay. but in the midst of, um, in the, in the interim, what we're doing is we have reached out to people who are already active in their community, who has one of the 41 EMCs. We recruited them and we built a steering committee. With that steering committee, we created a scorecard. That uh -huh. rates, it grades every one of the EMCs in the state of Georgia. So that was our starting point. Okay. You say EMC. What does that stand for? Electric Membership Co-op. Oh, okay. Is that, and so that's the technical term you use down in Georgia. We don't have that term here. So that's good to know. <laughs> um so, okay. So you have 41. So that's like the, the 41 co-ops are the ones that are delivering power to their member owners, right? Correct. Right. So we would call those organizations distributive co-ops in Missouri. That's I think that's the phrase we use. And they've got generation and transmission organizations that they all kind of are members of. And then there's a power supplier called Associated Electric. Is that similar to how you all are structured down there? Um, we have AG&T here called... Oglethorpe, correct. Oglethorpe, okay. Correct. And okay. then all of the 41 EMCs get their energy, their power from Oglethorpe. Okay. And then they give, you know, distribute it to the community. Okay. And, um, you know, I, as someone who I will confess, the only places I've been to in Georgia are Atlanta and Savannah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, are you talking about, like, when you when you look at a map of Georgia, I mean, are the co-ops delivering, or the EMCs, I should say, are they delivering power to the majority of the geography there? Are there some investor-owned utilities that are kind of in the mix? How does that How does that look? Geographically, correct. So we have 159 counties. Counties. Do we really? do, I know. Oh we gosh. have 159 <laughs> counties. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Um, but... Um, there is a for-profit electric company called Georgia Power. Georgia mm. Power delivers power to a lot of the metropolitan areas. Yeah. So okay. we have a lot of, geographically, we have a lot of land mass where the rural power, um, the rural power co-ops supply the service mm -hmm. to the community. Um, they all have different capacity. Mm -hmm. I think the largest co-op serves over 200,000 members. Right. 
And then there are smaller ones throughout the state. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Georgia Power, so Georgia Power privately owned, they get regulated by the Public Service Commission. Correct. Do the co-ops down there get regulated by the Public Service Commission? Um, they're not regulated by the Public Service Commission. However, the Public Service Commission does uh, manage um new equipment, new mm, right. the work that takes place. But our co-ops are 501c3. Yeah, okay. And they answer to the members. Right. So they all have boards. They um yeah. Um now, okay, so Georgia conservation voters, now education fund, what you're doing. Are you are you exclusively working with co-op member owners then? No. No. Okay. No, absolutely not. So we have um, two different campaigns going right now. Okay. One of the campaigns that we're doing is we're actively recruiting and supporting member owners who want to run for their electric board. Okay. And the purpose behind that is to add diversity. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So when you have people that have been sitting on the board for 19 years, that 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 is a problem. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stands out to us during COVID. Schools were shut down. Yep. We had um, school systems calling around the school systems actually put Wi-Fi. These are the rural MCs put Wi-Fi in the school buses and they were calling around trying to identify places to park the buses so that parents could put their kids in the car, drive them to a parking lot so the kids could do school. And Okay, wait a minute. So they would put a Wi-Fi in the school bus. They'd park the school bus at a parking lot and tell the parents, like, look, if you want your kids to be able to go to virtual class or do homework, they'd have to go to this parking lot and do it from their car. Correct. And, and and just let me say, it wasn't all EMCs. Yeah. But there were several EMCs. And when you don't have diversity of ideas and people who are innovative and are proactive and not reactive, these are some of the results that you get. I know one of the things that we talk a lot about with member owners, not just about clean energy transparency, but we spent a lot of time talking about broadband, rural broadband. And I mean, I assume that you all are probably talking a lot about that too, aren't you? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, how, how, how are the utility, how are the co-ops down there doing with broadband? Are they doing it? Are they, are they trying? Oh, are they, they absolutely stepped up when they were exposed. Like everybody's <laughs> work. No, seriously. Everybody's yeah. working on broadband. They do have a time online and um, they're moving towards broadband and making sure that all of their members have access. But prior to COVID, yeah, it yeah. wasn't a priority. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like the one experience, the experiences I've had or we've had in Missouri is that there's all this money available for broadband. There's all this opportunity, but it seems to me, and I don't say it like this, but this, they're making money on the status quo. They, they're making money, and it seems like, yeah, what I think was exposed by groups like yours was that they're not 
helping their communities keep up with the modern way of of doing things. Yes, and that brings us back to diversity. Yeah. Diversity, um, when we say diversity, we're talking about uh, diversity of ideas, age, gender, and cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. You cannot sit on a board and be 70, 80 years old. You're right. not going to be up on the newest uh, technologies, what's out there. And it is about the status quo. Now, that's not everybody on the board. Right. But you have at least one or two members that have been on the board so long. It is impossible for them to have the knowledge and to be open for change like we feel they should be. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. I mean, they're they're kind of, I mean, you know, when you talk about the education issue, you're 70, 80 years old, you're not dealing with a kid who's doing homework. Uh, you might be dealing with a grandkid or a great grandkid dealing with homework, but not going on in your actual house. I mean, so that's a, that's a, that's a disconnect there. That's a, a, a not being attached to the reality of the situation. I kind of wonder, uh, because, you know, look, Renew Missouri is still relatively new to this space. Um, how, how long have you all been working on rural electric cooperative issues for member owners? How long has your group been doing that? I was two years, surprisingly two years. Two years. Okay. Uh, and, and you've been more, and, and, you know, so when you look at the diversity issue, I mean, do you have numbers about the diversity of those boards versus the communities they're serving? So what we're doing right now is we are creating a spreadsheet, um, so that we can actually identify what the st stats are, the ratios, but within our scorecard, Oh. We have a category where we talk about innovation. We talk about diversity. Um, we talk about overall governance, finances, and what type of customer service they offer to their members. But I do want to say what makes our scorecard unique is when you read how your EMC scored, yeah. it tells you what they scored, what the question, the specific questions um, that were asked, but it tells you what the ex expectation should be. Oh, okay. So with with uh, with like say diversity, um, what it what is the expectation you all are looking for? We're looking for um, again diversity in age, gender, and cultural diversity. So they should, the members, the board members should reflect the community. Yeah, right. So is this is this a scorecard that you all do? Is it publicly available? Do you just send it to member owners? It is, it is publicly available. You can find it at www.billsaretoohigh.com. Billsaretoohigh.com? Correct. We will um, we will add that link to the email that we send out for this. Just so if you are listening and you got this through your email, you'll have that uh, available. Um, so so that, is that 
is that your that that's not your your group's website that is that just a website de dedicated to the campaign is dedicated to the um scorecard for uh, our the work that we do around energy okay so okay. you will find where we discuss the difference between um uh MEAC and EMC which is an electric membership co-op and then right. the the um, private uh, company, which is Georgia Power. So we discussed that, but when you click on our EMCs, you're able to just uh, click on the scorecard. Got and it. it's very user-friendly. Got it. Are there any uh, co-ops? I mean, how how are the co-ops looking down there according to the scorecard you've got? <laughs> oh my God. So I am a member owner. I have okay. um, a co-op. I thought that my co-op would have scored at least a B. I'm happy with my co-op. The majority of co-ops scored a D. D. Mm -hmm. I think we have one, maybe one or two score a C. Wow. And so the way that they're graded is you have the max score and then it tells you what you actually scored against the other EMCs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and or expectations. And so one of the unique things is that when you are a 501c3, there are certain expectations that have to be met to maintain that status. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the co-ops tend to manage themselves. Uh, and yeah, because yeah. members are not aware of their rights as members versus being a customer, they're not held accountable for poor service. They're not held accountable for giving members the right to opt out. There are certain things that the membership is totally unaware that they have a right to. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you find, you know, in the two years you've been working on this, how, how have your, how have you found, you know, kind of working with member owners and trying to find people who are interested in being, who are interested in being more a part of their co-op uh, management and leadership? How is that going? It's going well. Um, I think the desire right now has outpaced our capacity. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> to support. And so um, we started our scorecard. So what we did with the scorecard is we recruited people through our education program. Um, and we got people to commit to be a part of what we call the steering committee. Yeah. So we, we did not have access to a lot of the information that we were seeking on the scorecard. So we got people who actually were members of that co-op to reach out and get the information that we needed. This was back last fall. So it's only been a year that we started the scorecard okay. and the campaign. Out of those 15 people that we were able to recruit from 15 different EMCs, three 
actually ran for their electoral board. Okay. We have more people who want to run. We've got to expand our capacity, but uh, we've had one concluded August 2nd, the second one concluded uh, September 16th, and the third we're in the middle of, it concludes October 14th. Wow. Okay. So you, you've got your dates, you've got some candidates, you've got people interested, but you, um, you know, clearly there's a, I mean, there's a lot to do with those, with those races. Um, people have to sometimes if they don't get nominated uh, by the co-op committees, they have to go get signatures and they have to go, um, you know, they have to go. And if you're an outsider, uh, I've noticed that's tough because uh, at least in Missouri, you have a lot of requirements of co-ops where if you work there, you have to live in the service territory. So they get told, go vote for these people <laughs> at the at the annual picnic, which we do at two in the afternoon on a weekday when no one else is going to be doing it. Right. <laughs> You're nodding your head. <laughs> exactly. You hit it. You need, <laughs> you hit the nail. Right on the head. We've had yeah. some unique challenges. Yeah. Um, I think this is our first time doing it. And we've learned so much. It's it's really difficult to gain name recognition. Sure. In the short length of time that you have to campaign. But the great thing is the first two races we did not win, but both uh, candidates are interested in running again. Yeah, we were able to increase the number of um, the level of participation because, you know, generally in Georgia, I don't know how it is in Missouri, but in Georgia, we had, I think the first race, they serve about 49,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And out of those 49,000 people, they only had, uh, before we actually entered the race, they only had 661 people vote. Oh, wow. Yeah, there is there is a co-op in Missouri, and I'm sure there's others that do this, but they actually um they actually will give you a credit on your bill if you vote of like ten dollars. Yeah. Uh, because they have such hard time getting people to vote. Um you know, and then you know, finding people to actually run is also uh enormously challenging uh in those areas because there's a lot of I mean, um Missouri is a is a is a state that is uh, seeing population decline. Um, I know Georgia is actually you know kind of on the uptick of that. You see people moving to Georgia. Um, we aren't having that here. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I my fear my worry is as a is I'm from a rural part of the state. I'm from Southwest Missouri in the Ozarks, kind of the Appalachian of uh, of Missouri. Uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's just my Ozark accent. Um, we don't, we just, we're, we're, we're not seeing people stay in those areas. And so that's a challenge. And one of the things I think uh, is, you know, people just don't see the people um, in charge of those communities caring about the same things they care about. Right. I mean, is, is that something you see in Georgia as well? Yes. Um, people are not used and in, in spe- I'm speaking uh, in reference to the co-ops, co-ops right. are not used to having to answer to the community. Right. They're not used to being held accountable. Right. And so when they write their bylaws, 
they make it so convoluted and confusing <laughs> that people can't cut through the crap. I don't know if that's appropriate, but they can't cut through. I think it's, it's good legal terminology. Yeah. <laughs> they can't cut through the crap enough to feel like they're connected or they yeah. know what's going on. And then we have to really address messaging. Mm -hmm. I know that there are some powerful co-ops here in the state of Georgia who do a lot of messaging, but mm -hmm. the messaging kind of mask their weak areas or their weak points, especially when it comes to how they serve community. What's an example of that that you've experienced? Um, they give scholarships to graduating seniors from high school. Yeah. You do get your capital credits. Um, they put on events but there's such a gap in how they service communities. For instance, we ask questions uh, about having flat fees for members, flat monthly fees for members. Are they reasonable? Some were $15, some were $25, some were yeah. a little more. Uh, do you go in and spray pesticides on people's property so that you can keep, you know, um, growth from around your equipment? Sure. Right. Most people don't don't know that they have the right to opt out. It's not clearly written in the bylaws mm -hmm. and or they don't have the right to opt out. Right. Like, yeah, that's right. And so the information in the bylaws, first of all, they're difficult to read. Customer service is not necessarily like, there should be a registry where if you have a disabled person in your home that relies on energy, they should be able to register. So when they go back to restore power, they look at the people who have the highest need, right? Right. You think that would be consistent from EMC, or from co-op to co-op, but it's right. not. And so those are some of the things that we're trying to educate the community about. Not only how their EMC operates, their co-op operates, but what the standard should be. Mm -hmm. Then they can go and speak intelligently about the issue and demand that they serve their community a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And do they only get that opportunity to do that at the annual meeting or other? <laughs> do they, do yes, they have meetings? <laughs> well, one of the things that we've done with our steering committee, remember these are the people who decided they wanted to be active in their community. Right. Um, we did send them a letter encouraging them to apply for the federal funding. Yeah. But we asked them to follow up with a phone call to set up a meeting with key personnel so that they can introduce themselves as a member owner. But we encouraged them to use the scorecard and to find an issue that concerned them. And so in their meeting, 
they could just talk about the issue and tell them what the standard, what the issue was, why they felt that way, what they felt the standard should be. Uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's a really good idea. <laughs> we might have to use that here. Uh, that's good. That's awesome. Um, you talk about the federal funds. Have, have you got, I mean, so when, we're, as we're recording this, it's been a little over a week since the initial, uh, kind of letter of interest that was supposed to be sent by the co-ops for the new era program. Do you have any indication of whether the Georgia co-ops applied for that or not? I do not. I do know that um, the letters went out. I yep. do know that the follow-up calls went out. Um, but we are scheduling a listening session where we're inviting um, all 41 EMCs to attend. Okay. And we do understand that each EMC's capacity differs. And sure. so we want to portray ourselves as a supporting partner and um, not an enemy, but right. we do want to, we, we do understand that we missed that deadline or they missed the deadline if they did not, but we want right. to provide options for them. Yeah. We know that the EPA has a lot of funding that can go directly to their members Yes. Like weatherization, retrofitting or whatever. I feel like to build trust, you can start somewhere. And sure. so we want to encourage them um, to start um, directly giving those benefits to their members. And hopefully we're in the long game, right? Right. We wanted people to apply for the federal funding, but... We really, for our organization, we want the members to be served. We want the members to have safe, reliable, and affordable energy. We want the yes. customer service to be better. We want the people to be able to feel and experience the benefits of funding, federal funding, whatever form it comes in. But, you know, we had to make a choice. And what we decided to do was play the long game. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's good. I mean, because the thing is, like, I mean, you talk about $9.7 billion. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? But, but it wasn't you, enough. Wasn't enough, right. You know, because when you look at the um, the sheer amount of money that has to go into utility, uh, just, just running utilities in this country, delivering power to people, transmitting power, generating power it is it is it is it is amazing how much money that costs and my hope you know as 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 part of this coalition that helped push for this money and we wanted to push for more but that's what we got is that people see that the co-ops there's a lot i mean they see there's a demand and a desire from the cooperatives to do this to take some of this money to do clean energy and it makes people say like oh man you know we should we should do more of this. <laughs> um, and that's my hope that with this small, with this, I mean, I don't say small, I would say narrow, narrow amount of resources that are available uh, that that will lead to um, people realizing that there's a demand and there's a desire. I would, I would also like to add 
from our perspective, being an educational um, organization, sure, is that it's important to get the people behind whatever needs to be done. Because right. once people understand that they have a right and how it would directly benefit them, mm-hmm. once they demand, people's opinions begin to change. Yeah. I think a lot of people just don't believe they have any control over their electricity. Um, and that takes a lot of work to, you know, to, to show them how that can, how that can, that's not the case. Um, Let me just tell you, that's why storytelling is so important. Can mm-hmm. I give you an example? Please. So my mother, I'm originally from North Carolina. My mother is 89 years old. She's owned her home ever since it was built. My mother complains that her homeowner's insurance goes up every year. She doesn't understand why. She's upset about it. She's mad at State Farm. She's called State Farm. She's yelling at State Farm. Um, But she doesn't get any results. They just kind of placate her, right? Sure. I had to come in and connect with my mom where she was. My mother is very religious and I know she knows the Bible. So I began to tell her the story of Job. Mm. And I said, mom, I said, State Farm is the devil. But your insurance commissioner is God. State Farm has to go to your insurance commissioner and ask for permission to raise your rates. Yeah. So when she understood that, then I took the picture of the insurance commissioner, put it on the refrigerator with the phone number. Now she can complain. We have got to begin to help people. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, but that works. don't participate because we don't help them connect the dots. They're so busy doing life. Right. If we can meet them where they are, they'll do the work for us. And then we can talk to the legislators or whatever. But we've got to educate the community. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough because as you said, like you talk about your mom's religion and you talk about trying to like make that applicable. Someone next door might like, there has to be another way to get to them. Exactly. Uh, Sports. Yes. I I don't know what the, I don't know what the analogy to sports is with insurance, but I bet you could probably do that too. (laughs) Yeah. It would be Roger Goodell. The commissioner. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that might be easier. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, I think it is intentionally. Like you talk about those bylaws, the way they're written, it is designed to make people not want to be a part of it. Exactly. Right. Uh, I, I've always found utility, uh, utility, uh, energy policy, how utility management is always kind of developed to be like, oh my gosh, listen to all these letters, you know, IOUs and RECs and EMCs and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, and it's all shorthand. I mean, but it also, people are like, oh man, I, I got bigger problems than this, you know? Um, and they just, they just, they just kind of say like, I'll, I'll worry about it whenever I get the bill and I want to cuss it, you know, a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, what my hope is, yeah, I think the, the hope of everybody, a part of the rural power coalition, 
you know, by working with, I, I think even in our conversation, I've, I've had some, I've heard some ideas that I'd never thought of, which I think will be, you know, we could talk about and maybe do here in Missouri. One of the good things about it is that we're working together. We're, we're looking at what people have done, what works, what doesn't. I can talk to you a lot about what doesn't work. <laughs> if you want to hear any of that. <laughs> uh, but, but it, it, but I think ultimately, yeah, I mean, rural electric cooperatives are, um, well, they're hard to, you know, they're, they're hard, they're hard to work with because they don't generally get much, as you said, they don't have to, they don't usually have to listen to anybody. Um, but it, 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 they are a big, they are a big part of this puzzle that we're trying to solve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, You've heard the old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And so you have to, you have to uh, remember, you have to play the long game. Yeah. And the way to sustainability is to get the community to understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about like how long it took, uh, you know, from when private utility companies started providing power and refused to do it in rural areas because there was not enough money in it. Correct. Decades to get that done. Act of Congress, no less. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But so, the people came together and made yes. it happen. And so what we right. cannot allow is a small group of people to take the power away from the community. Well said. Well said. And with that, I'm going to ask you, um, uh, is there anything else you want to say uh, about your group, trying to like get people to come learn more about your group? How can we how can we help you uh, promote your efforts? Yes. So you can visit us at GS and George, BS and Victor, C, Ed Fund, which is GCV edfund.org and you can learn about who we are the work that we do and i encourage you to visit bills are too high.com and i'm assuming you're also on social media platforms we are on social media platforms great great so they can find you there just by you know typing in search and finding gcv ed fund yes gcv ed fund okay Correct. I wrote that down wrong. I'm going to make sure. Well, this email, we'll get this out. We'll have all that done correctly. So, uh, Deborah, thank you for being on here. This has been great. Um, I've enjoyed it. Good, good. I have too. And I hope you all out there have enjoyed it. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this on all major uh, podcast platforms. Leave a review that helps build up um, that helps build up our uh, our our name on the priority list. And also share this on your social media platforms as well. On behalf of Renew Missouri, this is James Owen wishing you a pleasant evening and an even better tomorrow. Bye.